I'm going to flip over to Psalms 100. Psalms 100, verse 2 and 3 says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now I'm going to jump over to Psalms 37, verse 3 and 4. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord. Say delight. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 23 of the same chapter says, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. It's clear from these passages of scripture that we're not only meant to live a life that's pointed to God and following God, but we're meant to live a life where we're delighted by God, where we're delighted and excited by his presence, that we worship with joy and gladness, that this is something that we're looking forward to do. That, that psalm I, I mentioned earlier, Psalms 42, he says, As the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts after you, O God. I love what he says, when can I go and meet with God? There was excitement. It was like, you know, I'm doing stuff right now, but I'm just looking forward to the moment I get to go meet with him. If you're taking notes this morning, my title is, Do What You Love and You'll Never Work a Day in Your Life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you gave us your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, that you lead us and we can delight in your ways. Lord, we thank you that we can lean into your word this morning. And we know that your word is living and active, that it can speak to us right where we're at. And Lord, we thank you that the flowers may fade and the grass may wither, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen? You believe that? Give a hand clap so I can drink this water without it being awkward. That's a secret that we do. We just don't. You ever see a preacher like, hey, clap your hands for the Lord? He probably wants to drink his water. All right, so recently um, we just moved into a house in December, and as we're getting ready for the move, I, I started um, taking extra, extra shifts. There was actually a point for a couple weeks I was working like three jobs, and it wasn't like we just, you know, so many expenses go into give, getting a house and moving, so I wanted to just make it as comfortable as possible, and um, I also just my, like, Katie was excited about the house. Um, I was really excited about the garage and the yard. Like, I didn't care how the house looked. It was like, I have a garage and a yard, and I'm just going to make that my kingdom. Um, 
even now, like, when we're talking about paychecks, Katie's like, yeah, we, we can go here, and we can get this, these decorations and these furniture. And I'm like, yeah, and I can order this piece of gym equipment and um, this grill for the backyard. And um, so in knowing that I had all these um, dreams for the house, I, ju I just started doing some extra work. And what I found is I was, I was doing all this, to buy gym equipment, but during that time, I was not working out. <laughs> like, my, my, I, I spent all day looking at stuff. Any moment I had, I was, like, looking online at gym equipment that I could buy, but then I just realized, like, hey, I haven't worked out in weeks. Like, this, maybe, like, once a week, it just hasn't been consistent, and it hasn't been um, something that I've been very excited about until we actually reached the point where I could start buying stuff for my garage. And then it was mine. And then I was excited to use it. And just recently, I had a, I, I'm, I'm in a Facebook group, um, and I had a friend comment on there um, that was like, hey, how do you reignite, like, give me some motivational speakers that I could reignite my motivation for getting back into the gym. And everybody in the comments was really just blasting her, like, you need self-discipline. You need to, like, just make yourself do it. And, and it was, like, it was just comment after comment about how, like, you're lacking self-discipline and you're never going to do anything because you don't have the drive to do it. And I just, like, I wrote on there, I was like, hey, maybe everything they're saying is true. Maybe the discipline and the motivation, like maybe that, that works for some people. It does not work for me. What I have to do to make myself, like, I have to make it exciting. I have to make it fun. I have to make it something I'm looking forward to. I do that sometimes by buying new equipment. <laughs> and then hoping Katie doesn't see uh, on our bank statement. Um, Sometimes it's buying new equipment. Sometimes it's giving myself a goal. I, do, I give myself made-up goals that I don't even really care about reaching, but it's driving me. It's making it exciting. It's something I want to do every single day to reach that goal. And it's making it fun. And sometimes in our, in our walk with God, I believe we come to the same place where prayer and worship and these things become about self-discipline. And they come about like, uh, I've got to make myself wake up in the morning and spend some time. And the truth is, there's some people that are really good at that. But I believe a lot of us need more than that. Because doing it out of self-motivation self and self-discipline and, and those things, that, that is good. But I believe there's a point that if you don't find a way to, to, to bring it alive and you don't find a way to make yourself be excited, that it's going to fade away. And it's just going to be another task and another work. And when I look at these scriptures, I don't feel like God wants us approaching his, his kingdom and his work as just another task. In Revelations 2, he says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. 
I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. You have persevered, you have endured for my name and have not grown weary. Don't all those things sound very disciplined? And this is a dis- disciplined and hardworking church. But the Lord says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how you've fallen. Repent and do things that you did at first. We're looking at a hardworking and disciplined church. But the Lord still held something against them. You lost the love. You lost the love that you had. And when we read these scriptures from earlier, worship the Lord with gladness. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Now we know God loves an obedient heart. But the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. How do we get that back? How do we, how do we get the love that we once had back? I think we need to look at a couple things that love does for us. And I got three things for you this morning. That I believe if we can get that love back, it's going to do these three things for us. First is I believe love turns duty into delight. Love turns duty into delight. It turns the work we have into something we're excited about, something that we're passionate about. I believe that we all have a responsibility as followers of Jesus. Let me break this down. The Bible, the New Testament, calls us a royal priesthood. Now that sounds great, but priests actually had a ton of work. If you look, at, look through the temple and you look all the, at, at all the things that priests did, that was not an easy job. You know, we almost have this like glamour, um, this glamour image of our mind of what the priests did. They were just the really holy ones around. No, I bet the priests were just covered in sweat at all times because they had the task of ministering before the Lord constantly, overseeing the sacrifices, overseeing every, every process that the Lord had. And the Lord is holy, so he wanted his worship to be done with excellence. And the priests were responsible for overseeing that. And the New Testament calls us a holy priesthood. Acts 13 says that the church was ministering to the Lord. Some translations put it this way, that they were worshiping and praying. But when you look that up in Acts 13 too, that phrase, ministering to the Lord, that's what their worship and their prayer was. Because as priests... We actually have a responsibility to worship. We actually have a responsibility to pray. We actually have a responsibility to minister unto God. We talk about these things as like, yeah, when I'm going through a hard time, then I should pray. We talk about, hey, I'm not, I'm not feeling that great. Maybe I should put on worship. But it's actually a responsibility that we carry as the priesthood of believers. Every single person in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have stepped into a royal priesthood and you have a responsibility and a work to worship and pray before the Lord. Prayer is the work of the church. 
Prayer is absolutely the work of the church. I heard I heard a message, um, and it was all about the fight that we we have as Christians. You know, we we have these scriptures about spiritual warfare. And as I watched the whole message go unfold, it was all around this. I've heard this message a hundred different ways, but it was all about fighting, and it was all about staying in the fight. And these things, and what I realize is what the what the preacher is actually asking us to do, as as the congregation at that moment, he's asking us to pray. But you can't package it as as a preacher asking people to pray because that's that's not going to get a room excited. Unfortunately, sometimes the prayer nights are the hardest thing to get people to. But prayer is the work of the church. When, when you look through Acts, it was, it was the church praying and fasting that, that moved the heart of God. We have this as a responsibility. Even think of it this way. When, when Mary came into the room and she had her alabaster box filled with expensive, um, expensive oil, she broke that onto the feet of Jesus. And you had, you had some in the room that would say, hey, we could have given that to the poor. And Jesus said, hey, you're always going to have the poor with you. That sound, that's, a, that's a harsh statement right there. That's a statement that might not sit well with us. He said, you're always going to have the poor with you. But Mary knew that she had a responsibility to worship the Lord. And when, when Mary broke that, that was her Fulfilling her priestly duties. We have a responsibility to the world around us, but we also, as, as followers of Jesus, have a responsibility to God to minister before him, to pray and to worship before him. It's the work of the church. We love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and we love others as ourselves. Both are our responsibilities. What happens, what I feel like, feel like happens to us as believers is we kind of choose one. We have, we have some groups of Christian and they're like, hey, we want to be in the, the 24 hour a day worship and prayer mode. And, um, and that, that's, that's our lane. And then we have some that are just like, hey, I'll serve. I'll do what you, don't ask me to go to the prayer meeting. But I will serve. I will work. I will build things. I will give. I will do whatever I can. And we get called up in one or the other. But it's actually both and. That's our, our work as believers. So what do we do? What do we do with this knowing that we have work to do as believers? Because let's be honest, every single one of us is now is either at or has been at a place where you're like, I have enough on my hands. I have enough work in my life. I don't need another task in my life. I got, I got bills to pay. I got jobs to do. I got errands to run. And what happens is our schedule fills up fast, doesn't it? I mean, yesterday was my day of rest, and I got to the end of the day, and I was like, I don't think I've done any resting today. Like this day just filled up and I didn't even put anything on the schedule, but there was tasks to do all day. 
And we find that being our life. So how do we get excited? And how do we fall in love with the work of the church and the work that we have as priests when the work we have as humans is so much? I think it's crazy that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had work to do. God gave them tasks in the garden. But the first time that that work would be described as toil was when they left his presence. It's amazing what the presence of God can do in our work. I believe how we take an extra task as work of priest and work as followers of Jesus is we have to take him at his word. Psalms 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I believe if we can get ourselves to do the work of priest and we can minister before the Lord, that we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good and that duty is going to become a delight in our life. The things that was just a task is going to become something that we're excited about. That we're going to reach the point they did in Psalms 42 where it's like, when can I go and meet with the Lord? I can't wait to get to that point. I can't wait to have time in his presence. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Number one, I believe love turns duty into delight. The second thing is love turns fear into faith. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love cast out all fear. Perfect love cast out all fear. When I hear that scripture every time I think of love as a bouncer. Love is just a, a bouncer in your life. I have, one, um, I have one bouncer story in my life that I probably shouldn't tell, but I'm gonna. Um, and it was, I just remember one time. I was, I, was out with, I was out with family, and we were going from place to place out at Jack's Beach. And to be honest, I wasn't in a great state of mind um, due to things that were ingested in the places we were going. Um, and I remember it was time to leave, and I'm just following the crowd at this point. And it was time to leave, and all of a sudden, a bouncer just grabs me. This dude was giant. I'm not a small guy. I was smaller then, but I'm not a small guy, but he was giant, and he just grabbed me, and I, I, I'm not even sure my feet were on the ground anymore, and all I didn't, everybody's yelling at me, Kevin, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid, and I had no idea what was going on. The truth was I just had a glass that I was, I was leaving with, and I wasn't supposed to leave with it, and he was very serious about keeping the glassware in stock at this, at this establishment. And um, I just, when I, when I hear this scripture, I think of love as a bouncer. And that's what, that's what happens. Lo bouncers keep things, some things in, and they keep some things out. Love is a bouncer in our life. And listen, when we truly fall in love with God and we truly fall in love with his people, there are some things that are not going to be allowed in anymore. There are some things that are not going to be allowed in our life. Listen, there's going, to be, there's going to be news channels that are turned off because they're making us hate people. And the bouncer of love doesn't allow that in our life. There's going to be, there's going to be social media sites that we stay off of because they, they make us not like other people and other groups of people. But love will not allow you to do that. 
In fact, love will make you stand with people you don't agree with because it will not let disunity come in. Love is the bouncer in your life. There's things that are going to be kept in because of love. You're going to find yourself with, filled with boldness in moments that you typically wouldn't. But because you know that there's, that there's people that God loves, you're going to suddenly find boldness and confidence. Let perfect love cast out all fear. Church, we have, to, we have to get fear out of the church. And what does fear look like in the church? Fear looks like us looking at the world and being afraid of it. So many Christians are stuck looking at the state of the world and being filled with fear. And we say things like the world's gotten so bad and our culture's gotten so dark. Do we understand the cultures Paul was facing? Like do some, re do some studying on Greek culture and Roman culture. Listen, there's times that I, I hear Christians saying, hey, the culture's throwing out family values. They didn't have it. Listen, they didn't, in the Greek cultures and Roman cultures that Paul was facing, none of that was established. They didn't have any marriage values. It was, yeah, you took your wife, but you also took out whoever else was around. They didn't have those things. But when you read scripture, yes, Paul does say, hey, in the church, we're not going to have those things. And that's, that's where, where we focus. Hey, let's make sure as a church that we're being as righteous as possible. We're being as pure as possible. But Paul was never scared of the world. There's never a point you open up scripture and you see Paul going, oh, the world's getting so bad. It's getting so dark. No, Paul was confident in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. I'm tired of hearing the phrase, this is a threat to the church. Nothing is a threat to the church because on this, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's no threats to the church. We will be here until the end. The church will stand. Churches may fall, but the church will stand. We ain't going anywhere. I think of the three servants. You had one servant who had ten talents. And Jesus tells this parable. And he took them and he... He used them to get 10 more. And then you had one with five, and he took them and made five more. And then you had the one servant who said, you know what, I'm going to bury this thing. I'm going to make sure I don't lose it. We can't be that Christian. Whatever God's given us, let's use it. We're not going to lose it <laughs> because... God's not a God who loses. Let's use what he's given us, and let's not be afraid of the world around. Perfect love cast out all fear. The people that we're afraid of, Christ is so in love with. And he wants to reach those people. The third thing I believe love does is it turns burden into belief. Now, this may sound a lot like the first point, 
but it's different. Belief is something belief is something that drives us. It's a goal that we're reaching. Think of it this way. The children of Israel needed to have faith that God would provide for them on the journey, but they had to have belief that they were going to the promised land. Faith is, faith is what we use knowing that God's going to provide for us and be with us on the way. But belief is what's driving us. It's the goal that, w- that we believe. And, and the belief that we should be filled with is Christ is going to come back and he's going to make all things on this world right. He's going to renew this world. His, the, our Bible ends with his kingdom coming down and his throne being here and, and establishing a new Jerusalem. Like that's the end of our Bible. We believe that he's going to come and he's going to make all things new and all injustice is going to be put right. And we believe that every person we encounter is made in the image of God. I did, we, I did a test while I was in ministry school. It was called Strength Finders. It was a book that like, found the things that you're really strong in, the areas that um, you're strong in, the areas that you like, relate to. One of mine was really frustrating at first, but then I found it to be true in my life. I think my top five strengths were like futuristic, belief, strategic, positivity, and um, ideation. I was really mad that belief was number two. Because I'm like, I'm a Christian. We all have strong beliefs. Like, that, that just doesn't. But what this was really saying is the things you believe in, you stay very motivated for. The things you believe in, you work hard at. The problem is things that you don't actually believe in, you it's really hard for you to do. And I've found that so, so true in my life. If there's a task or something that we're working towards and I don't really believe in it, man, I, I find it so hard to get myself to do it. If it's something I believe in, man, I am there. If it's something I really like believe in, I'm passionate about. That's why I'm still serving in youth because I remember being 15 and not knowing Jesus. And I remember having the fear of not having any purpose for my life. And I remember what having a con- being connected to the family of God did for my life. And it's something that I've experienced and I can't stop believing in. So I'll show up every Wednesday night, even though I don't have to anymore. But it's something I believe in. We have to get to a point where our love, where we're so in love with God that our burdens turn into belief. That we're not making ourselves pray because it's a task, it's something that we're supposed to do, but we believe that God's going to show up. And we believe that he's good and he's worthy of our praise and he's worthy of our worship. And we're, we have such a strong belief that he's going to meet us and that the work of prayer which is a task as as priests and believers is going to change the world around us do we believe in prayer maybe the reason we can't get ourselves to do it is because we don't have enough belief but he's the god that said ask and you will find seek and you shall knock he said those who delight in me i will give them the desires of their heart but we have to delight in him One task that the priest had 
is they always had to keep the altar, the fires of the altar lit. 24-7, that fire had to be lit. The New Testament would say it like this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It is our priestly duty to make sure his altars are lit. His altars um, are, are on fire. That we're not lacking in zeal, but the love of God is, is igniting our heart. We have that. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, um, Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Man, I am blanking right now. Somebody help me out. You know it. Nobody knows it? I should have had it open. Do not grow weary in doing good before if, if you faint not, you shall reap. I butchered that verse, but I just wrote it down on there. I was really confident in it earlier. Do not... Do not grow weary in doing good because it is, it is our belief that drives us. That, God, I'm not going to go weary showing up at your house. I'm not going to go weary in my worship. I'm not going to go weary in my prayer. I'm not going to go weary in my seeking you because I believe, I believe that your kingdom is good and worth it and it's better than the world around me. I want to delight in the ways of the Lord. I don't want to just do them because they're task. I don't want to just follow him out of burden. David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Is that your prayer this morning? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let's stand. Has your salvation become a burden? Has it become another thing that you can't get checked off the task list? Has it become something that you have to carry as well as carrying all these other things? And you know you should pray, you know you should worship, you know you should do these things, you know you should minister before the Lord, you know you should minister to others. But you're like, Lord, I'm just trying to get my bills paid. Has your salvation become a burden? Has your priestly duties become something that's a burden to you? I believe love is going to turn our, 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 those tasks, those duties, into something we delight in. I believe it's going to cast out fear and turn it into faith. I believe love is, is something that turns our burdens into belief. That, that's something that's going to drive us, something that's going to make us hunger after the ways of God. Something that's going to make it to where we can't wait to get into his presence. We can't wait to meet with him. Lord, just clear my schedule a little bit and that time is yours. Because love is something that drives us. Do you need your love back in your life? Do you need to return to your first love? You're doing so much hard work. 
you're really enduring. The world's been bad for the last couple of years, and you've endured through that. Can you give yourself a hand? Because you've made it through a rough couple of years. You've endured. You've worked hard. None of this has come easy. Nothing in our lives has come easy. Your work has been good. Your endurance has been good. Is your love still there? That's our prayer this morning. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm going to pray. The band's going to play. And if, you, if, if that's your prayer and, and you need to say, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make, make, make this love come back to me. Restore the love that I used to have. If that's your prayer this morning, then I'm going to invite you down forward. We're going to meet with God. I believe he's going to spark something in our hearts that's going to make these things something we're excited about again. It's going to make it fun again. It's going to make it where we're excited to get into to his presence. That Lord, we can't wait to minister to you. The revival that's happening around the country is people who are saying, I can't wait to get into the presence of God. I am hungry for you. I have, I have found my first love again. And Lord, we are in love with your presence. So God, I pray that over us as a people, as a church. Lord, that we're not driven by task. We're not driven by the work. But God, it becomes, it becomes a delight in our life that we delight in your presence. Lord, that we are so thankful that we get to be a part of your kingdom. Lord, we cast out fear of the world around us. God, and we thank you that you're the God that can restore love into our heart. And we pray that you would do that in this moment. Restore to us the joy of our salvation.